0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Sunday. And we've not been saying the word today, but you're going to hear the word right now. And I'm going to say a word and you're going to respond with vigor. As Churchill would say, with vigor. He is risen. He is risen. Whoa, wow. That was great. Good job. Can't beat that one. Yeah. Glad you're here today. May the world know, folks, that he is risen. May we not keep this good news to ourselves. Oh, we have a message of hope for this world that is unbelievable. And I think that we have to have the courage. We're being discouraged now in our culture to share this message. Oh, no, this is our time. God has placed us here for such a time, just like Queen Esther had her time. This is our time to be men and women of courage, men and women of honor, Men and women that will go against the flow of the culture and say, Jesus is alive, and he is real, and he loves you and wants you to be in his family. He does. If you would, stand for reading of God's word, Matthew 28, 1 through 8. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the, of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will, be, you will see him. Behold, I have told you so. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples the word. This is the word of God. God. Thank you, Father, for this word. Thank you for this event that happened that changed history. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith would be in vain. It would be all futile. Christianity would be false and fake. But the tomb was empty, as validated by numerous, numerous, numerous people. And the change of the disciples' life gives credence that Jesus is alive. Thank you, Lord, for this time. May we extol you today, Lord Jesus, in this house. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I want you to think about this. Never forget that Jesus died for your sins and the sins of the entire world, And remember, God is orchestrating all of these events. He is orchestrating everything. Most oftentimes, the Jewish people get blamed for murdering Jesus. They murdered him, so let's persecute the Jewish people. Oh, no, this was God's plan. And actually, in Isaiah chapter 53, it pleased God to crush his son for us so that we might have life. Jesus volunteered for this mission, folks. In eternity past, in the heart of God, he, 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 I'm going to be the one that goes. I will die for the sins of the world. Acts chapter 4, verse 27 through 20, and 28 will tell you perfectly what happened here. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, notice that's a capital U, that's God, the Father, God had anointed both Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, four groups of people, We're gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand to be done. God, though giving God, gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know this story. We know this. It is a truth story. Jesus had an appointed time with the cross and there was an appointed time with the resurrection. Jesus last week was a passion week. And it's filled with appointed times culminating in the resurrection, as I have said. Jesus had an appointed, they started with the cross. He had an appointed time with the cross. Jesus could not die by slipping and falling and hitting his head. He could not die by some disease or whatever process takes place when all of us pass. He could not die by a sword. He could not die by hanging. He had to die on a cross, crucified, because that was what was prophesied. And we see this on Good Friday, an appointed time with the cross. Jesus' trial, crucifixion, death and burial, you know, because you've heard these talks many times throughout your lives, most of you, all of it was brutal. All of it was horrific. All of it was beyond our comprehension to understand, but it was all necessary. Why was it necessary? Because God is showing us how awful sin is. And when we sin, there's a death penalty that is required for sin. Jesus died in our place so that we would not have to die for our sins and be separated from God forever. Jesus came to the rescue. He rescued us. The price of sin, folks, is the death of God himself, God's son, Jesus Christ for you. Put your name there. Put your name there. If you're a believer, you yay. If you're not a believer, put your name there. He died for you. You have yet to receive the gift of salvation and believe that Jesus died in your place. The cross, at the cross, atonement was made. We use this theological word, atonement. Propitiation is actually the word. And it means an acceptable sacrifice, pacifying the wrath of God. What most most humans don't understand is that everyone is born into this world into the kingdom of darkness separated from god have no hope have no hope they're in the kingdom they're ruled by the ruler of this age who is satan himself jesus several times called him the ruler of this age second corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 calls him the god of this world he's the one who's in charge of this world system this world system people have to be extracted from his grip and when you believe in jesus he rescues you from the kingdom of darkness, conveys you into the kingdom of the son of his love, whom you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, it says in Colossians chapter 1. We are, it's, it's a rescue mission that Jesus was on, and it's violent. It's a violent extraction out of the kingdom of darkness placed into the kingdom of light. And you go from the wrath of God being on you to God's love. God loves everybody, even those under his wrath. He desires all men to be saved, but only those who say yes to Jesus will not experience the wrath of God, which is eternal hell and separation from God forever. That's just what the truth is. Now, when Jesus died, there were many prophecies that were fulfilled. Now, what is a prophecy? Something that happened that was predicted in the Old Testament that came true years later. Some of these are hundreds and hundreds of years separated. And remember, I've mentioned this many times, but it's important that you never, ever forget this. Christianity is the only world religion that has fulfilled prophecy. Zero in Islam, zero in Hinduism, zero in Buddhism, zero in Krishna, zero in Sikhism, zero in any other religious system. Christianity has literally hundreds, and at the cross, there was 30-something that were, that were fulfilled. Let me give you an example. Jesus would not have been the Messiah if he was not hung on a cross with thieves. He he couldn't be crucified, isolated. He had to be hung with thieves. They had to cast lots for his clothes. And guess what the Roman soldiers did? That his garment was not torn. They were not torn. Not a bone was broken in Jesus' body. The two thieves, to accelerate death, they smacked them on their tibias, crushed them so they couldn't heave and breathe. They came to Jesus and were ready to belt him in the tibias, and he was dead. Why? Because not a bone would be broken in Messiah. He fulfilled prophecy. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver by a friend. Judas did this. Not 25 pieces, not 35 pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver. Look at this. this you cannot orchestrate this. This, is some, this. Humanity cannot do this. This is not a ruse. This is a fulfilled prophecy to demonstrate to each one of us that this is true. This is real. Jesus did die on a cross. Now, some people say there was a substitute on the cross. That's what Islam believes, that somebody substituted for Jesus. Or, there's, or he swooned on the cross. If you hear that ridiculousness? He swooned and he, faded, he, he, he faked his death. I mean, he's the only guy that faked his death as it's caked in 90 pounds of, of grave clothes wrapped up tight, thrown in a tomb, dead dark, and then rose from the dead. I mean, come on. The the fairy tales are, are beyond belief what comes up. Jesus did die, and when he died, this is going to come up on the screen right now. This is important. It all looked so bleak, and folks, death looks bleak. It looks like the end of everything. His lifeless body hanging on the tree, he was in place in a rich man's tomb which by the way was prophesied joseph of arimathea's tomb and it seemed that all was lost the savior is dead he has no life in him he's been beaten to a pulp and now he has died despondency filled the air and i would suggest to you that jesus mother was distressed The women at the cross were, by the way, the only ones there except John. They were distressed. John was distressed. His disciples were distressed and scared. They all ran away. They all ran away. Despondency filled the air. They all missed the promise of Jesus' resurrection. He told them multiple times, I'll be buried, I'll be raised from the dead. Nobody got it, including his mother. Nobody got it. At the appointed time, Jesus died on the cross. At the appointed time, he was placed in a rich man's tomb. At the appointed time, Jesus had a mission. Now, listen to this. Jesus' body is in the tomb. His body may be at rest, but his spirit is active. Jesus was active during that time he was in the tomb. How do I know this? If you would, if you're courageous enough, if you have a Bible... Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 20, and I'll tell you what happened here. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 20. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Now, just, just indelibly imprint that in your mind. The sacrifice was once. You don't crucify Jesus over and over and over as some parts of Christianity do. He was sacrificed once for our sins, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He's the only way to God. There's no other way to God except through Jesus. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And this is what he did. By whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah. What's that all about? What's that all about? The angels, the fallen angels, were cohabitating with the daughters of men in Genesis chapter three, uh, Genesis chapter six. From that came the offspring called the Nephilim. This is a whole another teaching for a different time. But this was an egregious act in the eyes of God. These, these fallen angels went beyond their proscribed area that they could work in. They were then confined in an area called Tartarus in hell, a special place for these fallen angels. And I think Jesus went and he announced his victory, this will come up on the screen, over Satan and the demonic realm. And what he is telling them is this. And I also think this, this announcement was made in paradise and in torment. That's a whole other lesson too, but. Uh, he made this announcement that humanity had been redeemed. The price had been paid in full. Remember, before Jesus died, he cried out, Testelestai, it is finished. The debt is paid. The announcement was made to this rebellious demonic horde and also to those in in, in Sheol, had, a, had, the, had the torment side and the paradise side. And the announcement is made, The redemptive price was made, has been paid. Now, the ones on the paradise side are going, yay! The ones on the torment side who sided with Satan, boo, they can't stand that. That's an important thing to remember. Now, what I want you to understand is there are some people, and quite a few, that believe that the redemptive price wasn't fully paid on the cross. That Jesus actually fought with Satan in hell and was victorious over him in hell this is a false teaching this is a false teaching when jesus said it is finished into my into your hands i commit my spirit that was it that was the redemptive price was paid and i want to suggest to you satan has never been in hell satan doesn't want to go to hell satan is not going to rule over hell satan will be a prisoner in hell and he'll be thrown into the abyss, actually, in, in Revelation chapter 20, which is the holding tank, Tartarus, for, 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 for dark demons. And he'll be confined there by one messenger angel in Revelation chapter 20. And he'll be put in chains, and a seal will be put on him. And for a thousand years, he'll be inactive during the millennial reign of Christ. He'll be loosened for a short period of time. He'll deceive the nations one last time. God will put down the final rebellion, and he and all who follow him will end up in the lake of fire, separated tormented forever that is the scripture that is the truth so at the appointed time resurrection sunday came jesus was victorious over the grave and folks this is good news here what first Tim- uh, second timothy 1 says our savior christ jesus who abolished death let that resonate in your minds you will never be separated from god never be separated from god not for a nanosecond, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, who were the first witnesses? They were women. In in, in verse 1, they were women. This is unusual because this is a patriarchal society. The men were ruling. Everything was about men. But Jesus was different. He had a lot of women involved in his ministry. A lot of them were helping. And those were the loyal ones at the end when he was dying on the cross. Different. Watch this. Verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, after Saturday, as the first day of the week, Sunday, began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. Now, Mary Magdalene is the one that had the seven demons cast out. If you've been watching The Chosen, you saw that. And if you read the Bible, you've read it, okay? (laughs) You can do both. But guess what? These women were not coming to see an empty tomb. These women were coming to anoint the body of Jesus, to finish the anointing that had not taken place. They expected that body to be there, and when they got there, they were shocked. Verse 2 through 4, they're going to experience an earthquake, an angel right before their eyes, and the guards are all going to fall like pickup sticks. (laughs) Boom. Watch what he says, 2 through 4, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Why? For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone From the door and sat on it. His countenance, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear at him and became like dead men. Earthquake, angels, guards like dead men. The angels' arrival is literally earth shaking. Literally earth shaking. It precipitated an earthquake. And I think that omnipotent, all-powerful God is demonstrating his power here. And remember, an earthquake is terrifying. Anybody that's been in an earthquake, that is the scariest thing they've ever been in. You can be in typhoons, you can be in tornadoes, you can be in hurricanes, you can be in all kinds of stuff. But an earthquake, there's something different about that as everything is heaving and weaving around. And I want to suggest to you that your life has many, many quakes in it. And you need a stabilizer in your life. And who do you think that stabilizer is? Jesus, that's right. Good job, students. Yes, it is Jesus. So what does the angel do? He rolls the stone away, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in, to see that the, that the tomb is empty. The angel gives the world a message. He is risen as he said. What did the angel look like? Something that is out of this dimension, something that we cannot comprehend. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. Folks, this is startling. This is frightening. This is mind-blowing. And these women see this. And what did the guards do? They fall like pickup sticks. Boom, boom, boom. They guard. Now, the guards were there. Why were the guards there? Because the chief priest and Pharisees said, he said he's going to resurrect. All the, all the people that followed Jesus missed it. But the chief priest and Pharisees, they got it. And they went to Pilate and says, make that tomb secure. Set a guard, a Roman guard. You know what a Roman guard is? 16-man unit that govern every strict rule, that were governed by strict rules. Watch what this author says. Each member was responsible for six square feet of space. The guard members could not sit down or lean against anything while they were on duty. If a guard member fell asleep, he was beaten, burned with his own clothes, but he was not the only one executed. The entire 16-man squad was executed if only one of the members fell asleep while on duty. Why is that significant? Because after the resurrection, the chief priest went to, went and spread this story around, tell them The disciples came at night, stole the body while you were asleep, and we'll pay you off. And that's what was spread out through the Jewish community, that the disciples came and stole the body. Impossible. This Roman cohort were well-trained, disciplined soldiers, and their lives were at stake. They fell down frightened because the tomb was empty. They knew what their fate was going to be. What happened to the guards? They passed out, fainted, and were fearstruck. And I had, I, saw, I put this out of order. So sorry for that. I want to show you the tomb. And it just, everybody's seen this. Every Resurrection Sunday, you get to see the tomb and all that. But notice, there's something to notice here. Notice it goes downhill. This stone is very heavy. If somebody wants to roll this stone away, there's not one guy going to do it. Two guys going to do it. There has to be a bunch of people pulling this thing up because it goes uphill, and it's wedged in this crevice. Also, this cord of wax is here, and if this cord of wax is broken, anybody that breaks it, they're dead men. Dead men. You've broken a Roman law. So th- for a human to roll this away, it can be done. They had tombs that they rolled the stone away, and they put other bodies in and that sort of thing. But isn't that something you'd run in and do real quick and steal the body and then put the stone back? No, that's not what you do. This takes some effort. This takes some time. This takes some work. And you've seen that over and over and over. And then, then will come up, what happened to the guards. They were, they fainted and that sort of thing. So verse five and six, what does the angel say? Come and see, come and see verse five and six. But the angel answered and said to the woman, women, do not be afraid. Now that's kind of a word that God gives the church constantly. Fear not, fear not, fear not, don't be afraid. Oh, by the way, don't be afraid. Life is going to be tough. There's going to be strange things happen in your life. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen as he said. He is risen as he said. He is not here for he risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. He's no longer there. Come see the place. Now, think about this. Anytime a human comes in contact with an angel, a celestial being from another dimension, they're shaken. It's not casual. It's not a casual experience. I talked to my angel today, and he told me to invest over here and to do this or whatever he tells you to do. No, forget that. You you are going to be on your face before even an angel. Now, remember John the Apostle who wrote the book of John. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he wrote the book of Revelation, he's on the Isle of Patmos, he sees the resurrected Jesus, in Revelation chapter 1, he falls on his face as though he's dead, Jesus touches him and says, it's I, John, two times in Revelation he comes in contact with an angel, and both times he has this, this thing of falling and worshiping them, and both times the angel says this, see to it that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant angels are servants we are servants fellow servants and your brethren your brother worship God incredible celestial beings immense beauty immense power messengers of God and by the way as I've already said we are messengers of God they have their mission we have our mission now the angel gives us the great news this will come up on the screen. We are to give the great news. He is risen. Come and see the empty tomb. The tomb is empty. And might we say loud and clear, now I'm going to say this really loud, and then you're going to respond, okay? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Good job. Good job. I, hopefully you don't get nauseated by me going through this, but you're going to say he's risen a lot of times. Risen indeed. Now, God's invitation to come and see the empty tomb, folks, is global. God's invitation to come and believe in the Son is a global. The invitation is to every single human being. The atonement, I believe, was for every single human being. But it must be believed and received to be validated. So what are we to do? Come, see, believe in Jesus. Now, when I say believe in Jesus, you think commit yourself to him, put your trust in him, follow him, and embedded in that word believe is the word fidelity. I will be faithful to you, Jesus, while I'm here. I am the bride. You are the bridegroom. I am engaged to you. That's the picture. And I know that you're coming back for me. And I will be faithful to you until you return. Once a person comes and sees, what are they to do next? Go and tell. Verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you so. The message is clear. Meet me in Galilee. Now, before he went to Gal- they went to Galilee, he appeared to them at least a couple times in the book of John when he walked through the walls. And remember, Thomas was absent. And then the second time, Thomas was there. And Thomas doubted the first visit. And then Jesus, the second time, says, oh, Thomas, put your hands in my nail prints. Put your hand in my side. And Thomas then says, my Lord and my God. I believe you, Jesus. Go and tell. What are we to go and tell? Go and tell the world about Jesus, a message of life, hope, and love. Really, that's the message of Jesus. It is a love love message. That God loves you and wants you to be part of his family. We tell them the gospel. You know where you get a summary of the gospel? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. It says this. What's what? Listen to what Paul says. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Now, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas, who was Peter, and by the twelve. After that, he was seen by 500 people at once. Many of those are asleep. Now, 500 people sighting at once, this is not a hallucination. A lot of people said, well, they hallucinated. No, this is not a hallucination. 500 people don't have the same hallucination. Then he was seen by James, his half-brother. James was a doubter. James did not believe Jesus. Judas did not, Jude, excuse me, did not believe Jesus. His other brothers and sisters didn't believe him until after the resurrection. Then he was seen by all the apostles. And then Paul says, he was seen by me on the road to Damascus. I saw the resurrected Jesus. When you give the message to somebody of the gospel, you want to tell them about Jesus. Listen to this. We do not deal with their flesh sins. This is really important. When you're dealing with somebody to come to Christ and they know nothing about Christ, and they're living like the world, you don't deal with their flesh sins of drugs, alcohol, sexual immorality, stealing, profanity, Lust, jealousy, vanity, greed, lewdness, slander, arrogance, folly. You don't deal with all that. You deal with who Jesus is, and Jesus is the only one that can deal with their sin problem. You give them the gospel message. We deal with the sin of rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, the only one who can save you. Let me just say that again. Jesus is the only one that can save you. You cannot get on the multiple roads of salvation and choose your road. There's no such thing as that. The the gate is open wide to salvation, it's open to everybody, but it's narrow in that it's one way through Jesus Christ. You know the verse, John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. There is one way. I don't care what the government says you know let, let let's recognize all these other religions i don't care what your friends say i don't care what the television commentators say i care what jesus says he's the he never lies by the way all these other entities they lie to you all the time i mean you're lying to you on at on a regular basis jesus always tells you the truth he's the only way so you deal with the sin of rejecting the messiah the holy spirit deals with the world with one specific sin john 16 Verse 7 through 11 says the following. Watch what it says. Nevertheless, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth. Let that resonate in you in a world that we're living in of lies. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, now this is written hours before his death, okay, literally hours. But if I depart, go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, not plural, singular, and of righteousness and of judgment for rejecting Messiah, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And might I add all of those that follow the rulers of this world which is all of humanity outside of Christianity. It's astounding thing. This is billions of people that have been deceived in false religious systems. You've been extracted from the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light. You did not raise your hand and and just just say, okay, I'm coming to Jesus now. You thinking you did it. No, the father draws. No one can come to me unless the father draws him. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus says in John chapter 12, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. You have the whole Godhead involved in you coming to believe. God opens your eyes at a specific time. Remember, there's, behold, today is the day of salvation. When the spirit of God is working on you, that is your time. You don't put Jesus off. You don't know if you're going to have another time. You don't know how much life you have left. When you're young, you think you're going to live forever. Oh, no. You never know when your life will be snatched away. Young people die, middle-aged people die, old people die. It's one thing common to all humanity, you will die. And at that moment, what you did with Jesus will mean everything to you. It won't matter if someone has put, put a, a, a road, named a school after you, named a road after you, put a library after you. It won't matter how many people came to your funeral. It won't matter one bit if you have a big state funeral with all the pomp and circumstances. If you don't know Jesus, that means nothing. That means nothing. The Holy Spirit, folks, is drawing you. Behold, today is the day of salvation. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus did it all. He did all the work, He died for you. All you do is, is hold out your hand, and He offers you the gift of salvation. And you simply say, I believe you, Jesus. I'm a sinner separated from you. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just that simple. Just that simple. Salvation is the simple part. It's living the life that becomes a little more difficult because old things are chipped away as you become a new person in Christ. Once saved, then God will deal with the other stuff in your life. Dealing with the other's other stuff gives evidence that your salvation is genuine. Philippians 1.11 calls it the fruit of righteousness. And I want you to be very careful with this. Oftentimes we go around as fruit sniffers. I don't, I don't smell your, your fruit is not quite what I think it should be. Oh, no, we are not the fruit sniffers. God is the fruit judger. But what we are told to do is be, to examine ourselves for genuineness, not others. We're not judging everybody else around us. We are implored by God, by the Spirit of God, to examine our own lives. This Resurrection Sunday, examine your life. It says here in 2 Corinthians 13.5. It'll come up on the screen. Examine yourselves. It doesn't say examine your wife, examine your kids, examine your co-workers, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. It's personal. Test yourselves, documos yourselves. Are you genuine or not? Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? That's a question. Unless indeed you are disqualified, a documos, not genuine. There's, it, it, there's an imploring here. The authors of the New Living Translation say this, quote, The Corinthians were called to examine and test themselves to see that whether they were really Christians. Just as we get physical checkups, Paul urges us to give ourselves spiritual checkups. We should look for a growing awareness of Christ's presence and power in our lives. Then we will know if we are true Christians or merely impostors. Are you a believer or are you a make-believer? That is the question. Now, only God knows. There's all kinds of chameleons. People blend all the time. So examine yourself to see whether you are in a faith. That word examine is important. It's written in the present tense, and it's an ongoing examination. I just don't examine myself Fifty years ago and say well I'm okay I'm good I'm great and never do any introspection for the rest of my life no this is a regular inventory where am I at what am I doing how am I living my life am I really all out for the master am I all out for myself examine yourself it's ongoing and it's written in the imperative mood who cares imperative mood you're going to care it's a command it is a command that we examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith and I want you to think about this this resurrection Sunday, many people think they are okay with God. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm a good person. God will certainly take me into, into his family. Folks, there's none good in the eyes of God. No humans are good. Our righteousness comes from Christ, righteousness being credited to us the moment we believe. And then you are as pure as Jesus is in the eyes of God because of his blood being applied to your life. But there's a scary scripture here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. And you have a group of people that have died and they're standing before Jesus. And they say these things, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Haven't we done many wonderful works in your name? Oh, Lord, look what we've done for you. We're great. We're wonderful. We're terrific. And you know what Jesus says? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, away from me, you who practice lawlessness. Focus on that for just a second. You who practice lawlessness. Now, look, at it. we're all sinners. We're all depraved. We're all fallen short of the glory of God. We're never going to be perfect on this side. It's always going to be a fight, always going to be a struggle. But this practicing lawlessness is significant it's the someone that has given over to a certain life. And they say, that's just the way I am without any remorse. I'm going to do my thing. and I'll take my chances. So many people presume on the grace of God and live any way that they want. No, the scripture does not give any leniency towards that. But remember also, it's the direction of your life, not perfection in your life. We'll never be perfect here. It'll always be a growth thing growing changing so don't get so down on yourself when you when you stumble and fall because believe me every human does it we're never going to get it perfect here so what do they what do these ladies do verse 8 so they went so they went out quickly from the tomb in fear and great joy with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples the word so they went and they they, they, they followed this out Come, go tell, go quickly, go quickly. Now, this speaks to me of something. This speaks to me of there's no such thing as a Christian keeping their faith personal and private. How many politicians have you heard say this? Uh, My faith is just personal and private. In, In a sense, it is personal. Your belief in Jesus Christ. But folks, it is never private. It is to be shared with the world around you. Everybody in your sphere of influence should know where you stand with Jesus Christ. Are you embarrassed of him? He's not embarrassed of you. Everyone should know. Go and tell Jesus and his love. Go and tell of the hope of Jesus. Go and tell him that the tomb was empty, that Christianity is true. This is a true message. It is the only message of hope that humanity has. The tomb was empty. And folks, I'm going to say it one more time you have your part. He is risen. He is. Risen indeed. That's good job. Good, good job. But Dave was particularly loud on that one. Good job. <laughs> he is risen indeed. So they went, so this will come up on the screen. So they went out and told the disciples, he is risen. The disciples were so stunned. Now listen to this. They, they, the disciples hear this message. Jesus has told them multiple times, I'm going to raise from the dead. By the way, if you're going to kill me, I'm going to raise from the dead. And it just went over their heads. The disciples were so stunned yet skeptical that when they meet the, met the resurrected Jesus in Galilee, I skipped the part, didn't I? Sorry, Emma. Okay. Some doubted. Matthew twenty eight sixteen says this, the 11 disciples went into Galilee to the mountain with, Je- with which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw them, they worshiped him, and some doubted. Can you imagine? They've, they're right there with the resurrected Jesus. They, they realized they knew that he had been crucified. They knew that the tomb was empty, and yet they are doubting. You know what doubt is? It means to waver. It means to be double-minded. This is classic human behavior. Now let me, let me give you an example. Do you ever say this when you're doubting? Well, I just don't know. I don't know about that. Mm, don't know about that. that that's, that's doubting. Okay, that'll be a doubting. When did they believe? Fifty days later at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. Then they believed. Then you shall receive power, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Then you will be witnesses. Then you will go and tell. It is here in Galilee that they received power their commission. It is here that we hear what our commission is as believers. Every single Christian has this commission from the Lord Jesus' mouth to your heart, to your ears, to your being. Watch what he says. Verse 18, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them in Galilee at the mountain. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth go, go, never is it sit, never is it hide in the closet, never is it withdraw, it is always to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, take a hard stop right there, because teaching is doctrine, and how many times have you heard people say, doctrine your, your church talks about doctrine? Well, that's boring. I can't believe how boring that is. No, no, church isn't about, you know, playing and jumping around and games and, and, and hilarity. It's okay to laugh and, and that sort of thing. But the focus has to be on God. More on that in just a second. Teaching is imperative. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you Commanded you, notice this command, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end. His disciples, and lo, I am with you. Everyone in this room, and all of us going forward, I am with you to the end of the age to carry out the commission that I have given to you. Every one of us in our sphere of influence has a mission to accomplish for Jesus. Every one of us. In closing, we celebrate the resurrection. And I want you to know that the cross accomplished something and the resurrection accomplished something. they are two different things, two different things on the cross. Number one, Jesus died and willingly gave his life for my life. Now put your name there because he did. He died for you. He died for every single human on the earth. Everyone. Jesus paid the price for our sins. He purchased us out of the slave market of sin. When he said to Telestai, it is finished. It was finished. The redemptive price was paid. All humanity is savable, but you're not saved until you believe and receive the gift of salvation. Jesus' resurrection assures the believers, excuse me, wrong spot. At the cross, atonement was made, an acceptable sacrifice pacifying the wrath of God. The loving God gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes and receives the gift of salvation John 1:12 will be born again given a new life given a live spirit within them The resurrection was different at the resurrection Christ arose victorious over sin and death crushing the serpent's head The first gospel was given in Genesis 3:15 Now that might not mean anything to you but there was the fall of man Adam and Eve chose contrary to God, sided with Satan, and now we, we suffer the consequences of that decision today with sin and death and all that stuff in our lives. That was the first gospel message that Satan's head will be crushed by a coming Messiah. Without the resurrection, you must know that your faith is in vain. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he would indeed be a liar. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, some say he would be a lunatic, but Jesus did rise from the dead, and he is what? Lord, Lord, kurios, master, ruler, owner of our lives. Jesus' resurrection assures the believers resurrection to eternal life. Jesus said it very plain in John fourteen nine. because I live, you will live also. Because I live, you will live also. Christ, his victory over Satan was demonstrated in the resurrection over sin and death, securing the believer's future forever. The resurrection is the most important event in the history of the world. The cross is as important. We must have the cross, but folks, the resurrection gives credence that what we believe in is true. The tomb was empty. Today, we celebrate the resurrection of our, of our Lord, thanking him always for what he has done. We are to invite people to come see and go and tell the story of Jesus. Tell him that he's risen. Something to ponder this resurrection season. Now, this has to do with us living our lives out today in view of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus gave his all for us, and this is encouraging us to give our all for him. Okay, now listen to this. For you who come here regularly, this will be common information. If you're new, this might be a little stunning for you. First of all, something to ponder this Resurrection Sunday. Christ gave us all a commission to go and make disciples of all nations. That is what we are all to do. As we draw closer to the end, do not miss this. It will be this assignment will become more problematic for every true believer. I think, and as you know, I believe that as the church, the true church, will be challenged more and more as we give this message of life to the world. They don't want to hear it and that people don't want that information put out. And so they try to squelch it more and more as we've taken God out of our culture. So it's just something to think about. The pressure to compromise is rising, and I believe will become vicious. It's already vicious in most parts of the world, and I believe that viciousness is coming to America. It is already in Canada, greater than here, certainly not like in Iran and that sort of thing, but it is coming. You can see it. If you, if you can't see, you have blinders on if you're not seeing what's happening with Christians in America. Many people in the Western church will cave to the pressure. And I want to say this, and I don't say this with any glee. I don't say this happily. The Western church is soft. It's a church that basically is all about me. It's a powder puff church, easily intimidated And many in the Western church go along to get along. Go along to get along. Many claim a relationship with Jesus, but have no real life change, no guts to represent him in the culture. And think about this. And tell me if this isn't common. Suffering and sacrifice, that's for somebody else. That's for those people in Africa. That's for those people in the Middle East. That's for those North Korean Christians. That's not for us, is it? That can't be for us. Suffering, that's for somebody else. And we jump around, and the church today is like the Pillsbury Doughboy. You see him all about me. Oh, happy day. It is a happy day that Jesus washed our sins away. But this little guy right here is soft and pudgy and not willing to really do a whole lot. The next slide will tell you This church that we see in America today, predominantly, it's it's tragic. It's an all-about-me church. It's an all-about-me. Folks, it is about you as far as salvation. It is about you as far as becoming a follower of Jesus Christ and representing him. But the church isn't here to make you hilariously happy. The church is here to instruct you how to live in this world. And the church has several things for you to do. If it's not about me, what it is about Number one, indelibly imprint this on your minds, the purpose of the church is to glorify God. That is the purpose of the church. Exquisitely the purpose of the church is to glorify God, to build up the saints, to edify, to build up the saints for the mission, to evangelize the world. Now, how do I glorify God? How does a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, which most of you are, how do you glorify God? By obeying him and serving him. When you serve him, you worship him. You hear that? By obeying him and serving him. Folks, our country is changing. Our world is changing. And there's more and more open hostility to Christians in our world today than any other time. And this is supported now by all the entities in our country. Government, education, the workplace, sports teams, families are now divided because of Christ. Jesus said that would happen. It's happening all over the place. The, and I believe this. You know, we talk about this a lot here in this church. The Antichrist system is gaining more and more traction, and Mr. and Mrs. Pillsbury just blend right in with the world. Don't do that. You are salt. You are light. This resurrection season, remember what Jesus has done for you and the call that he has on our life to go and make disciples and represent him in this culture. You do that by speaking the truth. How do we we speak the truth? Guns blazing, fists flying? No. No, we speak the truth in love. We do it with gentleness and respect. That is how we do it. If you feel yourself getting your old dirt Doberman hair up in the back of your head, back off because you're not representing Jesus. You're representing your flesh. The persecuted church, the Pillsbury's blend not so with the persecuted church. They lay it all on the line. Folks, if you're a Christian in India and you get baptized, give an outward profession of your faith, Folks, when you do that, you take that last step, family's gone, job's gone, life has changed forever. Significant in India, significant in Iran, significant in North Korea. There is a true church in America, folks. A church who will not be silenced. A church in America that will not live by lies. This resurrection season, I hope you're part of that church. May this be our battle cry in the coming days. We will not be silenced. We must not be silenced. We have the only message of hope for people that will spend an eternity separated from God. I cannot tell you how, how what is at stake here. Do not compromise with this world to make people feel good as they're on their way to hell. Don't do that. Again, as gentle as you can, but be as truthful as you can. Don't pat people on the back as they're heading for hell. Don't be complicit in that. Tell them the truth. May this be our battle cry. We will not be silenced. Our Lord gave us all, gave his all for us. This Resurrection Sunday, may we remember how much he paid and that we must give our all for him. This Resurrection Sunday, determine in your heart as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ i will speak the truth in love i must speak the truth i will be salt and light i will not be intimidated and i will not be silenced and i will not shrink back in this culture i have to speak i have to speak. i can't go along changing pronouns because it's a lie i can't go along agreeing with marriage that isn't marriage that's a, that's a lie that's a lie it, you have to speak the truth in the culture and for that, you will be condemned. For that, you'll be persecuted. I will stand. I have two pictures here. I will stand like a bull in the blizzard. Now, this guy hasn't come up for a long time. But I want you to know how solid his legs are. This guy's not moving. This guy's stable. You see how determined he is? Does he look like he's going to fool around with, uh, with indoctrination in the world? No, no. You know why? Because this guy has guts. Guts. Guts are a combination of confidence, courage, conviction, strength of character, stick-to-itiveness, pugnaciousness. You'll fight for the truth. Backbone and intestinal fortitude. You are the people of God. This is who you are. You're not the Pillsbury Doughboy. You are the people of God. You are the people of God. You may be tested soon your family, your friends, certainly the government, certainly your workplace that's bought into all this stuff, determine like Daniel beforehand. You know, Daniel was, they wanted to indoctrinate him into Babylon. Jadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, and all those, those guys that went in the first wave into Babylon. And Daniel determined in his heart that he would not partake of the king's delicacies. He would not be indoctrinated. It could have cost him his life. But he determined beforehand, You must determine beforehand because we're in the war now, folks. Determine in your heart now where you're going to stand. This Resurrection Sunday, think about who you really are. You are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the restrainer. You are the Holy Spirit-filled church that is now restraining evil in this world. Through the Holy Spirit's power, you can make a difference in other people's lives. And let our world know who you really are. There'll be a picture that comes up of a warrior. I was looking for some warrior type look. I am a warrior in the army of God. And folks, you cannot do this without the shield of faith. I will believe you, God. Even even death cannot destroy me. This resurrection Sunday, determine in your heart, I'm a servant of the Most High God. I will not bow to this world, my flesh, or the devil's temptations, the the triunity of evil that is against you, I will not bow. May these words echo from our lips loud and clear that the world may know. We're going to do this one more time. He's risen. Okay, don't do it yet. The picture's going to come up, okay? He is risen. Let me say this with some fervor and some passion here. He is risen. He is risen. Oh, you are, are so good. You are so good. This resurrection season, make this your greatest day ever. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, folks, you can for the rest of your life you can know when you were saved. I was saved on Resurrection Sunday, 2023. You never have to go. Oh, it was sometime in February. That's just what I do. 1968. I I was in a hotel room, all alone and despairing, but I can't remember the date you'll know forever this was your day, a special day when Jesus took you out of darkness and placed you into the light. Folks, I have a picture here of a lion in the sand. I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. That's going to be your battle cry. I have a picture of a lion in the sand. And I want you to think about this. This is a Jesus lion in the sand. Come and stand with me. Come and stand with me. And I want to say this to you with all of my heart. Happy Resurrection Sunday. This is the greatest day in history. It is. Jesus is alive. Don't let the world steal the real Jesus from you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspire your word. Thank you that you open hearts and minds of people. And Father, today I ask you to do your work in the hearts of minds of people today that those who are followers of the Lord Jesus will be fervent followers, not blenders, not Pillsbury Doughboys, not chameleons, but men and women of courage who stand like a bull in the blizzard against the adversities that are coming at us. For those who are not saved, those who have never said yes to the Lord Jesus, those who are playing church, pretenders, imposters, make-believers, today I ask you to speak to their hearts, and they'll become true servants, true followers of the Lord Jesus. Right now, if you're an unbeliever, in your seat, where you are, you just have to say, in your heart, your heart to God, I believe that you died for my sins, Lord Jesus. I place my trust in you As my Savior, I receive from you the gift of salvation that you so freely offer people. Today is the day, Lord, that I give my life to you, my Savior, my Lord, my King. If you do that right now, you are saved, born again into the family of God. And I say to you, welcome, welcome. Thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for dying and resurrecting and for the hope that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.